From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. This episode is brought to you by MGMA Events. The Medical Practice Excellence Financial and Operations Conference 2023 will be held March 19th through the 21st in Orlando, Florida. During our premier spring event, Attendees will gain key insights from both disciplines and learn about topics that shape the future success of medical practice organizations. Go to mgma.com MPE23 to learn more and to register today. The latest value-based care report from Humana outlines many interesting findings and highlights how some physician practices found creative paths to success. Check it out now at Humana.com VBC. Remember, Humana is working closely with physician practices on their value-based journeys, so go to Humana.com VBC to learn more. Welcome to this episode of the MGMA Business Solutions Podcast. Uh, today, we are joined by Dr. Rich Loria. Uh, currently, Dr. Loria is a physician consultant with EBSCO, and he maintains a telehealth practice in Virginia. Now, prior to that, Dr. Loria founded and directed for more than 30 years one of the largest specialty practices in allergy in immunology in Northern Virginia. And in today's episode, Dr. Loria will be talking with us about how point of care clinical decision support can drive practice success. Dr. Loria, I wanna thank you so much for joining us on the MGMA podcast. Daniel, thanks for having me. And it is great to see you and speak with you again. Great. Now. As I had mentioned, uh, you are currently a physician consultant with EBSCO. So for our listeners, I just want you to go over a little bit of that. Who is EBSCO? What do our MGMA listeners uh, need to know about that organization? Right. Actually, Daniel, I'm one of four physician consultants for EBSCO uh, Information Services. You've met Dr. Mark Shapiro, but the team also includes Dr. Sarah McKinley out in Denver and Dr. Charles Posner out of Boston. And I'm really very privileged to work with uh, this fine group of physicians. So a, a bit on EBSCO, and then I'll jump into the information services, which is the division that we work for. But EBSCO is one of the largest privately held, actually family-owned companies in the US, founded in 1944. And actually, funny story, Daniel, when I first saw the name EBSCO in the context of Dynamed and clinical decision support, and having use mnemonic devices to get through medical school, I wondered if EBSCO might be an acronym for Evidence-Based Scientific Communications. Uh, well, this is not the case. Uh, even though this is indeed the type of information our clinical decision support tools provide. EBSCO actually stands for Elton B. Stevens Company in honor of Mr. Stevens, the founder of EBSCO Industries. So, uh, again, a little bit about the background. They have several divisions for those in, from those that provide research databases, e-journal subscription, uh, book collection development, acquisitions. 
it's really a major provider of library technology, ebooks, and clinical decision solutions for universities, hospitals, government, and clinicians. Now, your membership should know that the division of interest to them is EBSCO Information Services, or EIS. Uh, this is the division that provides clinical decision support, such as Dynamed, Dynamedics, Dynamic Health, which is for nursing, and this division is headquartered in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Now, the way I look at it, Daniel, EIS or EBSCO Information Services, I think about MGMA is watching out for the membership, helping them not just to survive, but to thrive in this environment. And so EIS from a different angle is providing support for clinicians, medical groups, and healthcare institutions to succeed in this environment. And it does this with very carefully providing extremely high quality current evidence, but delivering it very efficiently because you can deliver things inefficiently or efficiently. And so EBSCO has made a very conscious decision to deliver it such that it is usable at the point of care. And it does this through tools such as Dynamed. And this is gonna optimize patient outcomes. It's gonna facilitate our practice of medicine, help us not burn out and in so doing promote clinician and practice and institution success. That is great. Well, <laughs> and a lot of information. So thank you for sharing that. And I was going over some, uh, uh, what EBSCO could mean uh, spelled out as well. So I think you had the evidence-based side of it. Uh, that was better than I could come up with, but uh, I appreciate you sharing that information with us. Now, I wanna ask you one other question because you're, you're a practicing physician, but you're also a physician consultant. Just for the sake of our listeners and my own edification, what does a physician consultant do? <laughs> so in a way, the group of physician consultants are meant to be the voice of the community working inside the institution to say, what is it exactly we need? What is going to help us get through our day? What is going to help us take care of our patients? What is going to help us live out our vocation to take care of suffering people, but make it time, make it home in time to, to enjoy a family life and those things for which we work so hard? So it's to create a balance. And so we're there to say, please deliver us information in a way that we can use it and make sure that we're standing on very solid ground so that we're practicing not only at the standard of care, but at the cutting edge of information. We wanna be the best. And that's what this works. Our job as physician consultants is to be on the inside, helping the company deliver the best to the practicing clinician. Got it, okay. That I saw that when uh, you and I had a pre-call for this interview and I was just kind of turning it over in my head because I know it could go in a lot of different directions. So that. That was a great clarification there. Thank you for that. Now, I had the opportunity to hear you speak last fall. You presented at an MGMA webinar. It was on the topic of point of care, clinical decision support. Um, and I do want to let our listeners know um, that webinar is now on demand. Uh, it's available for continuing education credits. I'm going to provide a direct link to that webinar in the episode show notes. Uh, but uh, Dr. Lori, I want to start by asking you, what are the biggest challenges or what are the main inefficiencies in point of care clinical decisions so that it warrants needing support? 
Yeah, that that's an excellent question because it drives to it's going to expose why we provide the information in the way that we do. The first challenge, I think, having grown up through the age when we didn't have computers or point of care devices was, and then we graduated to using EHRs, is that we really need to maintain our focus on the patient and not just the point of care tools such as the EHR that we're using. Too often, we're extremely focused on staring at the computer, we're looking at the technology to the detriment of the patient. The really important information is conveyed not just with words, but with expressions, what the patient is, how the patient's moving. And we miss these important cues when we're staring at a computer screen. So I think we can't lose focus of the patient. We have to keep the patient front and center of our attention and all of our activities. Now, that's not to say we don't need, we absolutely need the clinical decision support tools, but they're meant precisely that to support, not to distract from the very important task of caring for another human being who's suffering. So I think that first challenge requires a lot of effort on our own part, but also it requires tools which are efficient and provide what we need, high quality information succinctly. Look, we don't wanna to have to extract nuggets of actionable information by digging through, you know, tons and tons of superfluous information or, right. or climbing through the proverbial haystack for that needle of information. So we need the tool to be efficient. And that's what we provide from EBSCO with Dynamed. So uh, a potential second, I think, inefficiency or challenge is the distraction of thinking that what we need is not gonna be there and that we might have to jump to an alternate platform. We have to be very confident in the platform that we use, that the information is there. And upon first glance at a bulleted format, one might think, hmm, I'm not sure all the information is gonna be here. So this is what I thought when I first looked at the platform. Well, my concerns were wrong. Look, the breadth and depth of information was there I just had to learn with progressive use how to disclose it. And we'll talk about that, I think, a little bit more. But instead of sifting through every last word on the subject, we provide actionable information. And if you need more, we can, uh, we can reveal that through clicking on study details or, or linking to primary source literature. So I think, Daniel, um, I don't know if you recall, there was a book back in the 70s. I think it was called The Making of a Surgeon by William Nolan. And there's an interesting passage in the book depicting a surgeon in the OR, and he asks for an instrument, instrument, and the scrub nurse hands him that instrument. He looks at it, proceeds to throw it across the OR, saying, don't give me what I asked for. Give me what I need. <laughs> well, in a way, this is what Dynamet is doing. They're giving you what you need at the point of care. And if you need more, it's yours for the taking. So I think that that um, hindrances overcome by our platform. The final challenge I would highlight is really documentation. You know, the saying goes, if it's not got documented, it didn't happen. And that's a, a problem because it means it's on us to document everything that we do that's important. So a beautiful aspect of our shared decision-making tool in Dynamed, Dynamed Decisions, is that it's going to generate a chart note memorializing our discussion with the patient. And we're simply gonna copy and paste that into the note. This is an incredible time saver. 
And considering that CMS is now tying optimal reimbursement to documenting that we undertook shared decision-making, this is gonna help the bottom line of our practice, our institution, our own bottom lines, and it's better for the patient, better for us as the clinician, and saves us time and helps us get home on time. I like that. That sounds pretty good to me. So thank you for sharing that with us. Now, I want to go back to your presentation in the fall. I was taking notes there, and you spoke about something. You called it the breadth and depth of evidence-based information that's available to clinicians. And that's really where I wanted to go with this question. It, is the information actually there um, and clinicians and other staff simply aren't aware of it or aren't able to diagnose it, so to speak? Or how would you describe that? What is, what is going on as far as the information that's out there that's accessible and the information that we just don't know how to act? either access it or how to analyze it? Yeah, again, an excellent question. And we touched on it briefly, but when you've used a platform for your whole life and then you change platforms, you, you're you always suspect that what you're looking at is not going to be as complete or as thorough as what you were using. So when you transition from a margin to margin, word after word text to a bulleted format, you say, is it really all here? And it takes one a little bit of time working in the platform to realize that in the case of point of care, clinical decision support, less can be more hmm. because you need actionable information, current high quality information usable at the bedside. So the body of our topic is just that. It's the most current high quality evidence really derived from randomized controlled trials and systematic reviews, the, the top, the tier of the hierarchy of clinical evidence. But if one needs more in our platform, simply one has to click on the details or the links to primary source literature. Now, EBSCO is the largest holder of journals in the world. So one of our strengths is that link to primary source literature. And one might say, well, uh, why not just read, uh, you know, voluminous amounts in a tome that someone has compiled and summarized because we're, we're healthcare professionals. Our obligation is to read the primary source literature, to know it, to understand it, and to learn and develop as clinicians over our career. So the point of this is that that's all given to us in our platform. We're gonna develop over years and years of practice, and we're gonna do that. If we don't read the primary source literature, well, who will? And so that's the strength of the platform is that we provide that right in the platform. The other section that I would draw our attention to in terms of the breadth and depth is our guidelines and resources. So we have multiple guidelines that are derived not just from the US, but offshore. And a lot of people have said to me, what's the point of having so many guidelines? Well, we do support, we're president of about 40 countries, so we do have to support the international community of physicians, but there's another reason. Providing many guidelines, again, this is, goes to breadth and depth, allows clinicians latitude in their decision-making. So we're gonna, over our careers, any seasoned physician knows this, you're gonna have patients who need to be treated more aggressively. You're gonna have patients who need to be treated more conservatively, but you always need firm ground to stand on to justify doing what you're doing. So if you bring up all of our US guidelines, 
you may have 10 or 15 guidelines that are present for treating Clostridium difficile. And you may find yourself more comfortable with the American College of Gastroenterology or the American College of Surgeons. But you have that choice to find yourself, am I more comfortable in this set of guidelines or in that set of guidelines? And so that's very important. And it goes to the breadth and depth of material that we present. Um, I think the last part I would provide in terms of speaking to the breadth and depth is that if you look at our what's called guidelines and resources, there is a, literally a treasure trove of peer-reviewed, highly curated review articles for any topic. And this goes to that issue of, again, what should we as professionals be reading throughout our careers to develop to be the consummate healthcare professional? And there's only one answer, and that's primary source literature. And so without having to go search for it, without having to do a Medline search, it's right there. It's all provided for. But if you're that kind of clinician that says, baloney, I want to go do my own search, guess what? That link to Medline is right there. You don't have to jump to a separate platform to find it. So we're saving you time and we're giving you the breadth and depth of information that you need to take care of people and to be the consummate healthcare professional. Mm-hmm. What does this look like in the real world then? I mean, you're a practicing physician. You're, as we talked about, you're also a consultant, um, either in your own uh, work life or in other practices. Do you have an example, a case study, anything where using these point of care reference tools has helped clinicians get the answers they need more quickly, more efficiently? Yeah, it's an interesting question again, because I thought about it in the context of or I think about this in the context of three parts of our platform, our, our main topic, Dynamed, and then our shared decision-making component called Decisions, and our differential diagnosis tool called Isabel, and sort of an anecdote related to each of the three. One is in, in my own practice, I'm board certified in internal medicine, as well as allergy and immunology. And uh, we did have a patient who is allergic to something called alpha-gal. You may or may not have heard of this. It's this allergy to red meats. And so, but patients who are sensitive or sensitized to alpha-gal can experience serious life-threatening allergic reactions to proteins derived from pork or porcine origins or bovine or, or, or cow origins. And so there was a patient we had sensitive uh, to alpha-gal who needed anticoagulation with heparin, which is derived from porcine sources. So we confirmed that that indeed was a concern and were able to pre-medicate appropriately so that that patient did not get into trouble because a high number of those patients do get into trouble if they require extensive anticoagulation with heparin. Um, an internist recently was telling me about a patient that he had and he found served extremely well with our Dynamed Decisions uh, portion of the platform uh, in that the patient was very reluctant to start on a statin for their hypercholesterolemia. But this platform provides an icon array that patients can visualize extremely clearly their risk of suffering a myocardial event over the subsequent 10 years. And it shows them a risk reduction, whether they go on a low dose, a moderate dose, or a high dose of a statin. And it is so powerful and convincing that this patient who was very reluctant to go on a statin because the neighbor had muscle problems, uh, saw clearly the risk of not going on a statin and opted to go on them. A final example I would give you was uh, at a conference I attended uh, recently, uh, we discussed the fact that 
one of the individuals attending the conference had suffered a misdiagnosis. So our, our differential diagnosis tool, Isabel, he wanted to put it to the test and see whether or not this could indeed pick up what he had. And so by simply plugging in his demographic, a male 30 to 39, painful left arm, one starts thinking myocardial things, but he had a cold hand. So just plugging in two symptoms, painful left arm, cold hand, we came up with a differential diagnosis to include thoracic outlet syndrome, which is exactly what he has. And he was shocked at the accuracy. And in fact, the differential diagnosis tool on our platform has an accuracy of 96%. And again, considering that misdiagnosis is responsible for 15% of all harm that is uh, that occurs to patients, this becomes extremely important, not just to take care of people, but to really protect our practices and our institutions. It's very, very important. Um, you know, we grew up in an age when there were no point of care tools, we had to use mnemonic devices, like I mentioned at the beginning. And right. so we had this very favorite of mnemonic devices, which was for a differential diagnosis. If you didn't know what the heck was going on, you'd say, okay, I'm going to bring up the word vindicate, or we adapted it. I, I adapted it to vindicates Meg. And, and so V is vascular and I is infectious and N is neoplastic and D is degenerative. And the second I is immune or idiopathic, cardiac, autoimmune, toxic, endocrine, sleep or sarcoidosis, and then finally metabolic and genetic. And then there's always psychiatric. Right. But, so we, we would use these tools to give us a disease category, but they could never give us particular disease diseases or diagnoses. And so this is extremely powerful and actually, to be honest, quite fun to use. Hmm. That is remarkable. Well, thanks for sharing that story. Um, I want to stay with data because you said you were using data there to uh, be able to better diagnose uh, patients. So when you are looking at ways to improve point of care service, is there a particular KPI or are there KPIs that you're having a particular focus on to see if things are working the way you want them to be working? Right. I think for a clinician in practice, the, the primary KPI would be time to answer. Okay. And so it has to be uh, the first area because our whole day depends upon how quickly we can get the right current answer. We don't want to go down the proverbial rabbit hole to get information. We Again, it has to be accessible and usable at the bedside. This is going to help the patient, us as the clinician, our staff, our practice, and our institution. Dynamed is outstanding in terms of the time to answer arena. And we put this to the test and had clinicians sort of at our booth at meetings at uh, American College of Physicians and whatnot, do an experiment and see how many seconds it took them to get the right answer. So we are very fast in the time to answer category. And I think that's very important to all practicing physicians. I think another area uh, in practice that's very important as a KPI is are we meeting the demand regulation and mandates of uh, CMS and whatnot to use tools such as shared decision-making. And we're allowed that privilege with our shared decision-making tool so we can keep up with the mandates and regulations there. But the information is always peer-reviewed. In other words, and it's current, our, our platform is updated six times a day, five days a week. There is simply no other clinical decision support tool that can claim that. 
So again, as a performance indicator, are we using current information? Absolutely the most current high quality information, yes. I think uh, a final part would be that area of diagnostic errors. And so the fact that we have a very interesting artificial intelligence power, artificial intelligence powered differential diagnosis tool uh, is super interesting. It's because it's powered not just based upon data, but upon pattern recognition. And I find that interesting, and that's why it's so accurate. It's very similar to our immune systems. Our immune systems are based upon pattern recognitions. We have something called toll-like receptors in our immune system that pick up on certain sequences of DNA or RNA or amino acids. And so this differential diagnosis tool powered on AI and pattern recognition is going to help our performance in terms of not misdiagnosing patients. And it's really very important. So I love those three areas. Okay. Well, I have a, a different, I want to switch gears just a little bit and, and lean on you for your experience, your decades of experience as a physician. Um, we've talked offline before and, and talked to you also just here today and know that you're focused on better outcomes for patients. That is of primary importance to you. Um, leaning on all of this experience you have, all the resources that you have, what are some, what's some advice? What are some first steps that you could share uh, with our listeners, with our practices and our practice leaders that can help them, uh, you know, cr better create those better outcomes for their patients? Yeah, it's hard, right? We're, we're trying to create good outcomes while dealing with all the pressures that we've talked about decreasing reimbursements, staffing problems, complexity, uh, mandates. It's, it's really a tough deal. And there is a lot of negative forces to contend with, but we better darn well thwart them because if we don't, our attempt to exercise again, our vocation to care for patients is gonna fall by the wayside. We certainly don't want negative forces to cause burnout, which in fact, in many cases, it is unfortunately doing. So again, I think we have to make that continual daily struggle to keep the patient at the center of all concerns. And we have to undertake that very difficult task of being an advocate for our patients. And one would say, why? And the issue is that no one else can do it. We're the only ones who can be an advocate for our patients. And this is gonna require really dedicated staff who recognize the importance of this most thankless of jobs. So when we find people, employees who work with us and we, who are good like that, and they recognize the importance of this mission, we better hold on to them. And it's interesting, in 30 years of practice, I had employees who persisted in their jobs for over 20 and 25 years. And I can only be very, very grateful for their presence to get through those years. And the truth is, and we all know this, right? Not all the outcomes are good, but almost all encounters are good, especially if we undertake them with some degree of compassion. And I think it was at least attributed to Maya Angelou said, they may forget what you said, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And I know my patients forget what I said because they don't do it. And so we write it down <laughs> so that they will do it. But it may serve us well to repeat this because we have the power through the touch of that physician-patient interaction to make our patients feel our compassion. And Again, not all the outcomes are going to be good, but we have to focus on a, that at the end of the day, we've done 
a lot of good to people just by being there for them and supporting them. It's funny. I think a final thought on this is, you know, we're physicians and one of the definitions of a physician, which I was taught by one of my mentors in St. Louis at WashU, where I was training was, it's the person who knows what to do when things go wrong. And that is true, but it's also true that they keep on moving the goalposts. And so, you know, it's hard to keep up. And so we have to recognize no matter how smart we are, no matter how good we are, no matter how proficient we are, that we need tools to help us. There's a certain dose of humility there. We have to recognize that the time has passed when one physician could master all the information they need. We're beyond that. We need tools to help us. And so we have to find a tool that meets our needs, that helps us practice at or above the standard of care, and that is efficient and cost-effective. And again, I think we all need to recognize that now and adopt whatever tool we can that helps us the best. Um, and also, you know what? We need to enlist the cooperation of our patients. We need to tell them that the, the, the healthcare environment is tough. There are a lot of mandates and regulations and we need their help because there's a lot of documentation that is required and for us to take care of them efficiently, we need their help in that task. So I, I, those are how I view some of the main, main issues of getting through practice, but always focusing in on the good. And, and at the end of the day, you know, we did try to do a lot of good. And, and that's something that uh, not every profession can claim, but I think we can. I love that. And I think that's a great way to conclude this conversation. So Dr. Loria, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and sharing your story, and, and frankly, sharing the insights about point-of-care support. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Daniel, and best to all your members. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of MGMA's Business Solutions Podcast. I want to thank Dr. Rich Loria, a physician consultant with EBSCO, once again for joining us as a guest. And thanks to MGMA Events for sponsoring this week's show. 